Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to a gathering with Rabbi Adam Kligfeld, Rabbi Matt Shapiro, and special guests Osman Yildirim from the Pacific Institute, Jeffrey Abrams, Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League in Los Angeles, and Reverend Jason Van Borsum from St. Mark, the Evangelist Anglican Church in Waxahachie, Texas. Shabbat Shalom to those who are here in person on the roof of the Gansberg building. And Shabbat Shalom to those who are joining us on Zoom, including a welcome and Shabbat Shalom to my dear friend, Jason, Reverend Jason Van Borsum, who we'll be hearing from in a little bit, joining us from Texas, not that far from Colleyville, Texas. So it's really an honor to have you a part of this service, Reverend Jason. Uh, we decided that as we were considering coming back to shul, the Shabbat, after last week's events in Colleyville, that just walking onto campus uh, was an act of triumph. Uh, maybe it's overstated to say it's an act of heroicism. We feel properly so very safe here on this campus. But to claim synagogue life and claim communal life a week after synagogue life was threatened is no small thing. And we thought that in addition to the services that are taking place elsewhere in the, build, in the building, also available on Zoom, at least one of them, that we would carve out one hour for us to be together, both digitally and in person, and spend some moments reflecting quietly inside our own minds and also uh, out loud with each other uh, what this last week uh, meant to a Jewish community that feels both very secure and safe for the United States of America in 2022 and also exposed and vulnerable in ways that we didn't imagine still could be. I want to start by offering a teaching that I've shared a few times in different places this week as the Torah speaks to us uh, unfailingly to the moment that we're living through. 
when the Ten Commandments are done, the Torah describes that the Israelites experienced it in the following way, V'chol ha'am ro'im kolot. The word kol means voice or sound in Hebrew. So the best way to translate this would be that the entire people saw the sounds. And unless you're living in southern Connecticut, like I grew up, where you can look outside and see the Long Island sound, normally sounds are not something that we can see. So perhaps coal doesn't mean sound there, or maybe it does, and we're supposed to learn something about the metaphysics of Revelation. And the great commentary uh, written by Rashi basically says that what was transformational about Sinai was not just the content of the material, the content of the Ten Commandments, but the way in which information was shared was that something which up to until then had only been audible became visible. Something invisible became visible. And the people were able to see with their eyes something which before that could never have been apprehended by vision. Whatever we think of that interpretation, perhaps one of the things we can draw from last week, a relatively inexpensive lesson learned. When I say relatively inexpensive, I mean that the people who are a part of that uh, might well be traumatized for a long time. But of the people taken hostage, no one was physically injured and no one was killed, which means we walked away from that situation relatively unscathed compared to how hostage situations of all types happen across the universe. And maybe for a window, which probably will close because they always do, the Jewish community's fear and wonder about whether or not they are fully accepted and safe went from being invisible to visible. Maybe this is an American moment or we can say, that people who hadn't really seen it before, both within the Jewish community and beyond the Jewish community, are able to see something which might have been hidden, hidden because of all the ways that we are successful and embraced in this society. Now our vulnerability might be visible as well. But I also want to say something about that moment that was heartening and I say it through uh, a reflection on a verse from the book of Shoftim, the book of Judges, chapter 5, where the prophetess Deborah is singing the song that we actually uh, read at a haftarah during the year, a song of triumph over a battle that was recently, run, recently won amongst the tribes. And she's praising the different tribes who came from Ephraim and came from Menashe and came from Machir, and that the battle was not just won by the single tribe, but that there were so many people coming to show support. And she writes the words, Zvulun amcheref nafsho, that the tribe of Zebulun was so eager to help and show support. Essentially, that phrase means that they risked death to come to the aid of their beleaguered, beleaguered brothers and sisters. It's not a, not a tiny thing for someone to risk their own life and limb to rescue and save another. And so it's also an opportunity for us to reflect on the local police and then state police and the FBI and the ATF and the people who rushed to the aid of the Jews taken hostage at the synagogue and that we hope and pray they would have rushed to the aid of anyone in that situation and what it means to be living in a society where there are people who are willing to risk their own lives and well-being to protect ours. That can give us a sense of sucker, against a sense of uplift, even as we are still reeling from what we witnessed last week. So we are vulnerable, but we are not alone, and we are maybe a little more visible than we were last week. Hi da da na ya da da na ya ya da da na ya da da na ya ya da na da da na ya hi hi ya 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 da da na ya hi da da na
week I was out of the country. I was officiating at a wedding in Mexico. And I, the stra- strange incongruity of being at the re- rehearsal dinner at a tiki bar by the beach, uh, trying to serve the needs of the couple as the rabbi and helping them celebrate the night before the wedding and then uh, turning on my phone after Shabbat and seeing what was what was at the time still taking place in real time in Kaliville. But, and uh, this small logistical detail will become significant in a second. I was on airplane mode on my phone so that I wasn't doing international calling. I was just using Wi-Fi, which means that it wasn't getting voicemail. When I landed in Los Angeles on Monday, I turned on my phone and reconnected it to the local mobile um, connection. And there were several voicemails. And the first voicemail came from my friend and colleague, Attila Kavechi, who's one of the leaders of the Muslim uh, community at the Pacific Institute with whom we have done so many programs in the past. And he must have left that message instantly after he heard the news and he wanted to call and see how I was doing and see how the community was doing and share his love and his care and his concern. Unfortunately and tragically, a call that I've had to make to him in recent years when Muslim communities, either in the States or elsewhere, have suffered tragedies far worse than what we went through last weekend. But I was touched by that. And members of the Pacific Institute are here with us, and we're going to hear from them in a second. Attila wanted to join, but he himself was out of town this week. And I was drawn to a wonderful passage in a series of reflections that were written in the 1970s by Rabbi Gerson Cohen, who at the time was the Chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary of America. So he was the intellectual and and, and institutional head of the seminary that trains conservative rabbis. And he was recalling a conversation he had with the great Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, really Judaism's greatest prophet of the 20th century. And in addition to being a a phenomenal thinker and philosopher and theologizer, Heschel famously was very committed to interfaith work, interfaith work and interracial work. And Gerson Cohen, uh, no slouch in his own right, recalled having a conversation with Heschel, and this is what Gerson wrote. I recall one one more incident. I said to him, Rabbi Heschel, of what value is all this interfaith work? The picture will never change. And he, Heschel, looked at me in his own characteristic way and said, my dear young man, let me tell you something. In 1938, When I was in Warsaw, we knew what was coming. We knew, but there wasn't a single Gentile I could call. 
Now, he said, if you were to know that something like the calamity that befell us were hanging over your head, is there anybody you could call? I, Gerson Cohen, said that right offhand I could think of six people. Heschel said, you have six that you could call. I have many, many more than that. And it says something really beautiful about what it means when people of different faiths who worship differently who might believe in a similar conception of God, but comes from come from very different faith backgrounds and narrative histories, without trying to convert one another, without trying to say that my faith is superior than yours, or that my faith demands that you uh, concede our, the superiority of our faith, but actual share, true friendship and brotherhood. It extends the lines of connection between people that are too often distant from one another, and it yields to phone calls, like Attila Kavechi calling me the moment he heard that Jews were in trouble, wanting to make sure that I was okay. And so we are so blessed uh, today to have two members of the Pacific Institute, uh, Osman and Mekan, who are joining us representing the Pacific Institute, and Attila, and I'm going to ask one or both, uh, Osman, to come forward and share some blessings uh, and words of friendship to this Jewish community on this day. Good morning, everyone. Rabbi, thank you, Rabbi Klixfield, for having us. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and Temple Bethlehem. This is the prayer uh, recited by Muslim for protection and peace. Here it goes for you, the people uh, of Bethlehem. O oh Allah, protect us, O oh Allah, from conceit, pride and ostentation, hypocrisy and hidden association, and purge us of filth misdeeds and faults. Both the hidden and apparent make us safe from the punishment of the grave and its trials and let our life be led in obedience to you. Grant us understanding of the knowledge from your presence. Grant us the companionship of your righteous servants, the highest saints and your truthful servants and include us among them through your mercy, most merciful of the merciful. O Allah, deliver us from every tribulation and save us from everything that leads to ruin and don't make us among the depraved. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Osman, and thank you for the friendship that our communities share. And we have many opportunities to come together just to be with each other and to pray and to share food and gladness. But your presence is really meaningful to us today. We thank you. We also have with us today a dear and longtime Temple Beth member, Jeffrey Abrams, who his de whose day job it is to protect the Jewish people from threats internal and external. He's the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League and is out there on the front lines uh, every day uh, doing what must be done, which is uh, being on alert for threats and figuring out the best way to defend this nation here in the United States. And so we're honored to have Jeff come and share a few words, uh, personal reflections about what it has meant for him to live through this week, both as a Jew in America and through his professional um, experience. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us today. Rabbi, thank you and thank all of you. I am here today for the first time in person to celebrate Shabbat at Temple Beth Am in almost two years. I haven't been here during the entire pandemic. But I'm here today because of what happened in Colleyville last week on Shabbat when our fellow Jews were doing exactly what we are doing right now, engaged in prayer, 
engaged in prayer at what should be the safest of all places, our houses of worship. Luckily, thankfully, the hostages were not physically harmed. As the rabbi said, I am here both on a personal basis and with my professional lens as the regional director of ADL. Friday morning, I gathered at a press conference with Rabbi Noah Farkas, the new president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Los Angeles, along with law enforcement leaders, the heads of the FBI, LAPD. And Rabbi Farkas's call that day at the end of that press conference was, come to shul, come to synagogue, support your clergy. And Rabbi, I haven't done a good enough job supporting you during all of this time on a personal basis. It's part of why I'm here today. And I immediately hearkened back to almost three years ago, October of 2018 in Pittsburgh, when then there was a tragic loss of life. And the Monday after that Shabbat, I came to Temple of Atham to drop off my youngest son for religious school. And someone came into the parking lot that evening and said, we need one more for Minyan. And I know how this synagogue had been here for me when my father passed away. And so I went into Pilch Hall that evening. And as I started to daven, for the first time in my life, in my country, in my state, in my hometown, in my synagogue, I felt nervous. I felt unnerved. And later that day, as just a local lay leader who cared so much, I posted on Facebook. And I posted that evening about the experience. And I ended with the words we all say together at the end of the reading of the five books of the Torah. Hazak, hazak, v'nitazek. Strong, strong. Together we are strong. And that is my call to everyone listening today, everyone here today. We are strong together. We are strong together of people of different faiths. It's so important you're here today. Thank you. And what also became clear to me on a personal basis, as someone who had removed himself from this house of worship on a personal basis, our synagogues, all of our synagogues, this synagogue in particular, it's critical. And it's here because this is where we show up together. Hineni. So I close with my message to all of you. ADL is here. The Federation is here. Law enforcement is here. And our partners, our interfaith partners are here. Hazak, hazak, v'nitazek. Shabbat shalom. Thank you, Jeff. I know not everyone in this uh, in-person or Zoom gathering is as drawn to the notion of mindfulness and meditation as others are. But however drawn or non-drawn you are, I want to invite you just for a moment to close your eyes. For those of us here on the roof, just allowing the breeze and the wind, its sounds and its feelings to come over our bodies. For those of you at home in whatever room and chair or couch that you're on, just to claim that space. And just be aware for a moment how alive and secure you feel right now. The great blessing of being okay and well and seen and cared for. We can achieve that feeling by going inside ourselves to our most core self. We have the experience of not only being held, but being the ones holding our own self. We giving ourselves 
a hug and an embrace. And you can let your mind move to how good and uplifting it feels when your eyes are open and you're out in the world and you're more exposed. And still you find yourself amongst people who hold you, see you, care for you and protect you. And how rotten it feels when that is not your experience. And so as we have this extended moment, both private inside the cocoon of our minds and also shared with everyone who is in person and on this digital stream. We can say that perhaps one of the most important things we pull from this experience is reminding ourselves how powerfully good it is to be well and okay and how powerfully important it is that we help others feel the same. What a world it would be if that were our primary human obligation. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and we're going to have spotlight on the screen here, my dear friend, Reverend Jason Van Borsum, who has spoken at Temple Bethan before, before he moved uh, to the deep, to the deeper south uh, and leads a community, an Anglican community outside Dallas, uh, just one of the other suburbs around Colleyville and on whose commutes here and there around the area uh, passed by the synagogue that was under attack last week all the time. And Reverend Jason, I can't tell you how touched I am for your, by your friendship and your willingness to join from across uh, time zones and space to share words of blessing to us from you, from your faith, uh, and from your identity. So if Hector, you can uh, spotlight Reverend Jason so we can all see him on the big screen. Yeah. Please, Reverend Jason. Thank you, Achi. It's really wonderful to be here with you. And as uh, Rabbi just said, this is the second time that I have been graciously extended the hospitality of the family of Beth Am. So my very best to the shul. As Adam said, I moved from Los Angeles to North Texas seven years ago. Uh, I am an Anglican priest, although I am very proud to claim a paternal Hebraic heritage. And one of the Planck's pillars of my own vocation to ordained ministry has been relationships, dialogue, partnership in ministry between Jews and Christians. It's very important. I wanted to just say, just to remind everyone, that the individual that perpetrated this invasion and this uh, attack and hostage situation was not a Texan. There is a perception in some parts of the country uh, that Texas is something that I have personally found that it is not. I am very pleased to share with you all that there is a very large, vibrant, and diverse Jewish community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, there are a number of synagogues near me, and I have continued to maintain relationships with local clergy. And these houses of worship are conservative, reform, orthodox. Indeed, about 25 minutes by car south of my home, there are 50,000 Lubavitchers that live in the heart of Dallas. And they are 
accepted as a very central and important part of the community. In my tradition, we are commanded to love our enemies and pray for them. This is a very difficult teaching. It's a very difficult teaching. However, we think about it. It is only love that can drive out hate. And it is only light that can drive out darkness. And so when we pray for our enemies, I am often reminded of what King David cried out in Psalm 51. Lev tahor barali elohim. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And David did not use the Hebrew word yatsav, which means to fashion or form something from pre-existing material, like a table or a loaf of challah. But instead, he used the word bara, a verb exclusively used to refer to God's creation of the cosmos. So David understood that no amount of reformation of his character would be enough and instead appealed to that very power of God that created the universe, yesh me'ayi, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Such was the nature of the remedy required. So this is why we pray for our enemies, because only the power of God can truly reform hearts and minds. I want to just quickly turn to the Tanakh. In my tradition, we have what we call a lectionary, which means that there are set readings for every day of the calendar. I think you all have something similar in the Jewish tradition. Well, interestingly, and I don't think coincidentally, the reading from the Psalms for morning prayer appointed for today in the Anglican tradition, Psalm 36. I'd like to share it with you all. My heart showeth me the wickedness of the ungodly, that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own sight until his abominable sin be found out. The words of his mouth are unrighteous and full of deceit. He hath left off to behave himself wisely and to do good. He has have left off behaving wisely and doing good. He imagineth mischief upon his bed and hath set himself in no good way. Neither doth he abhor anything that is evil. Thy mercy Adonai reacheth unto the heavens, and thy faithfulness unto the clouds. Thy righteousness standeth like the strong mountains. Thy judgments are like the great deep. Thou, Adonai, shalt save both man and beast. How excellent is thy chesed, O God. And the children of men shall put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be satisfied with the plenteousness of thy house. Thou shalt give them drink of thy pleasures. For with thee is the well of life, and in thy light shall we see light. O continue forth thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness unto them that are true of heart. O oh, let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the ungodly cast me down. There are they fallen, all that work wickedness, they are cast down, and shall not be able to stand. Am Yisrael Chai, Baruch Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Jason, for 
your friendship and your leadership of your community and your leadership of humanity. The only uh, risk I run in having you share in a session like this is that it might show my community that you teach Hebrew text better than I do. Uh, and that's not necessarily good for my long-term uh, tenure here at Tumblebeth.com. You are no slouch yourself, as you just said. And full disclosure, my Yiddish is much better than my So I'll close by saying... Good job. <laughs> Thank you, Reverend Jason. Uh, I'm now going to give the microphone to Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Um, we're going to do a short um, sharing exercise that he's going to describe that he's going to lead with the people who are, in present, who are present in person, and I'm going to go over to another screen and lead with the per- people who are on Zoom. So Rabbi Shapiro. Shabbat shalom, everyone. It's already been referenced a couple of times this morning that this is the week that we read about and receive again uh, the revelation at Sinai. And as such a central moment in our tradition, there are, of course, hundreds and thousands of teachings on the nature of that moment and what that consisted of and what that looked like, felt like, sounded like, etc., And one of my favorite teachings on that moment is a Hasidic teaching, which is no surprising for those who know me. And the Hasidic teaching is that what was shared at Sinai, it was not the Ten Utterances, the Ten Commandments. It was not the totality of the first two. It was only the letter Aleph. It was just the very first word of the first commandment. And for those of you who know Hebrew... I don't also know Hebrew as well as Reverend Jason, but I know enough to know that the Aleph has no sound at all. It's a silent letter without any punctuation or other letters added to it. And there's a teaching on that teaching which reconfigures that what was revealed through that Aleph along the lines of what Rabbi Kligfeld was saying earlier in terms of being able to see sound, that the Aleph itself, for those of you who can picture it, reconfigured in that moment from one long line and two shorter lines into the two shorter lines and the one longer line aligning in a way as to demonstrate a face. And that therefore what was revealed at Sinai, what was the full content of revelation, the face of another person. And therefore what is revealed to us is the centrality of relationship and connection as we think about what it is to then bear out the revelation of God in the world. There's an irony in that for those of us who are here in person, given the ongoing masking policies that we have here at Temple Beth Am. It's a bit easier for those of you joining us over Zoom. And at the same time, if we can see sounds maybe there's also a way that even through masks we can connect deeply and intentionally even if we're seeing the eyes of another and maybe all the way into that pure heart to that Lev Tahor that Reverend Jason referred to just a moment ago. So I'm going to invite us to an experience of some sharing. It's going to be different for those of you over Zoom than for those of you who are here in person as we continue to move through this hybrid experience. And I originally was uh, taught this by Rabbi Ari Lucas, who many of you know and remember. And if you know and remember Rabbi Lucas, you love him as I do. So thank you, Rabbi Lucas, for introducing me to this practice. And it's a simple one. You're going to find a partner, and you're going to share with that person. And you're going to speak for two minutes straight, and what's the other person going to do? Just listen. And then that time will come to an end, and you'll switch. And the other person will have a turn to share for two minutes, reflecting on the prompt, and the other person will just listen. And through that speaking and sharing and through that listening, there is a different type of connection and even intimacy that can emerge. So for those of you who are over Zoom, in a moment, Rabbi Kligfeld will approach 
to be able to help facilitate that. It'll be a little bit different. What I'll, um, Rabbi, I'm going to share two different prompts. Those of you in person will be able to choose with your partner which one you'd prefer to explore. And over Zoom, uh, I'll let Rabbi Kligfeld um, determine which of those he thinks best fits those who will be sharing in that forum. And I'll, if you're over Zoom, I think I'll invite you to share for one minute straight. It's a little bit of a different format and to be mindful of that time and then to offer up an opportunity for anyone else who would like to share. And as you're sharing and as you're listening, I'll invite you to share with an open heart and to listen with an open heart and to notice the moments when you feel like jumping in and sharing something and saying, I feel that too, or what do you mean, or hold on, wait a second, and to just listen and to just be, to just be present and to honor that which is being revealed to you in that moment. Those of you here in person, I'll invite you to find someone who you are less familiar with, maybe who you don't know as well, because I think there's something different that can be revealed in that. Here are the two potential prompts, and I'll track time for the people who are here in person. What helps you to feel safe? And how do you respond when you feel afraid? What helps you to feel safe? Or how do you respond when you feel afraid? If neither of those prompts resonates for you or your partner, you can feel free to feel, pick a different one, but those are the two I'll offer up. Um, and we'll move into this for just a couple of moments. So we're sparse on the roof, but I think there's enough for us to do this. And uh, Rabbi Kligfeld will have a couple of minutes for, with the people who are with us over Zoom. So, I'll just close with one more thought, which is, um, Jeff earlier was reflecting on the role of space in terms of feeling safe and building community. And interestingly, towards the end of the Parsha, that is grand revelation and uh, central moment in our tradition, we get into some very nitty gritty rules about what it is to create sacred space. That we take that which is revealed grandly and we find ways to bring it out concretely. I think that's a big part of what we work to do as people and as Jews. And the very, very last verse of the Parsha is a simple rule, which is that basically the priests, as they're ascending or descending the steps of the altar, that, that actually that they shouldn't ascend by steps, that they should go up um, in a different type of way, lest their nakedness be exposed. That there's a sense that there should be a certain modesty to that. And Rashi's comment on that isn't that, God forbid, there could actually be some type of priestly indecent exposure in that. But that in their garments, you might think, God forbid that something inappropriate is being revealed. And that in sacred space, you need to go out of your way to treat that space and those materials respectfully. And then Rashi, through a midrash, expands that one step further to say, if so for space, how much more so for other people? If we have the obligation to treat sacred space, inanimate objects with respect and consideration, think about how much the more so each and every single person who is created in the image of divine, whose face was revealed at Sinai. And so I'll just leave you to linger with that thought, that being in sacred space and relating with sacred people is vitally central to who we are as Jews and something that we reclaim and establish and reestablish and hold going all the way back to Sinai to anchor us and drive us forward as we continue to build and strengthen this holy community. Thank you, Rabbi Shapiro. I'm going to share one more thought and we'll end with a nigun so that we uh, bring this program to a close at the time that we said we did, we would, so that those either on Zoom or in person can co join the other services if you want. I share forward a beautiful insight for which I'm grateful to my uh, one of my colleagues, Rabbi Gordon Tucker, 
who for many years was the dean of the rabbinical school at JTS and then served a congregation in White Plains, New York, till he retired from that pulpit a couple of years ago. And he and I were speaking this week, and he said something striking, not from the par- Parsha, from the weekly reading, but from the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, which the first chapter and a half is a chapter about women who are vulnerable. Naomi loses her husband. One of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, is willing to go with her to maintain a family connection. And when they're discussing what they're going to do next, these women without men in their lives to protect them, you could not be more vulnerable in the ancient world. Ruth, who is not a Jew, at least not yet, says to her mother-in-law that she's going to go to one of the fields of Judea and glean there behind the harvesters and glean in a field where she'll be taken care of and someone will be kind to her. And Rabbi Tucker's pull away from that scene is that what did this woman, Ruth, know about the people of Judea such that she would feel comfortable going to an anonymous field unidentified and just glean behind the primary gleaners and that she would be taken care of and that she wouldn't be considered a threat and that someone would be welcoming and embracing of her. What Rabbi Tucker says is that back then, even back then, that's how the people of Judea, our spiritual ancestors, were known to those around them. Those are people that you can go to their fields and their schools and their sanctuaries and their temples and their homes. And the most vulnerable amongst you will be welcome. As we saw last week and as we know, there are two ways that a hostage taker can get onto a Jewish campus or a synagogue. With force and with vulnerability. You can push in, God forbid, with a knife or a gun. Or you can say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need some tea. And chances are, in a Jewish community, you might get in if you approach yourself the second way. You can violate a boundary by pushing against our defenses or exploiting the Jewish instinct not to be defensive. So there can be terrorists and violent haters pushing in to our campus at any given moment. And women like Ruth, whom we would want to be able to find safety and tea and food and protection amongst us. So which path do we choose, we Jewish people, or any people of conscience? Do we choose to be suckers and give up compassion because it can be manipulated and used against us? Or do we stay vigilant but never give up the instinct, the reflex, to invite poor gleaners into our fields? The simple truth is that compassion always makes us vulnerable. And it's not an easy choice, but it's a fateful one, it's an inevitable one, and if we want to remain a community, a people, and a nation worth preserving and defending, the choice may be excruciating, but I think it's also obvious. So this week, as every week, in the Jewish community and in other communities, we pray for peace. And we prepare for danger, and we exemplify welcoming, and we embrace the Ruths, and we are ready when a wolf appears under a lamb's clothing, and we thank those who serve and risk their lives to protect us, and we continue to come in prayer and in pride to be and become the people deserving of the name Israel. Ay, ay.
Shabbat Shalom, a day of peace to those joining us digitally, to those in person. A special thank you to our guests who joined us to share blessing and friendship in person and on Zoom. And let's see each other soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.